We thought at one time that we wouldn't have to drive back and forth to Birmingham. Once Jackie graduated from Samford, we figured that trek back and forth uh, would, uh, would be it. As a matter of fact, when we loaded up the car to bring her back home after she graduated from college, we knew she'd be going somewhere. We didn't know where. God has a sense of humor. Gave her a job back in Birmingham. And so back we go. We went a few weeks ago to carry some stuff to her as she's getting established in her house. And I was reacquainted, although I didn't meet him, with a guy named John Brown. John Brown, that's, that's an image right there of John and one of his signs. John Brown is, it was born in Jamaica but came to the United States. And a little over a decade ago, he was convinced that he had a special mission in life and that was to share the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel message with anyone who would listen. And so the way he felt led to do was uh, he actually uh, started making signs. He got a microphone and a speaker. And he went out uh, in front of the Walmart just off Lakeshore Drive, just before it got to the interstate, where literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cars would pass by. And he stands out there, typically wearing a sombrero, sometimes playing music, sometimes even doing a little dance to get people's attention. And he's got uh, dozens of signs that are spread out through there, some calling for repentance, others with a scripture verse. Um, but, but that is his mission. And every time I drove by, I was thinking, what a nut. Uh, maybe I should have been a little more pastoral in that. I don't know. But you're going, are you kidding me? Who, who in the world is, would, 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 would stop, pull over and go, hey, Jesus told me to stop. Um, I saw an interview that was done with John Brown, and he says every, every year over 120 people come to Christ. They pull over. They just got to know what's leading this guy to stand out there and do this. In fact, if you want to know what a big impact he makes, let's go to the next slide. This is a picture uh, using uh, Google Maps. And I don't know if you could, what you can see in here, but you see that line of, of white uh, spots? Those are some of his signs. He's got his, 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 his vehicle, his SUVs parked back here. There's a cross there in the middle. You can see the shadow of that. You can see what this dude is doing from space, okay? This is from a satellite in space, and he's occupying this territory, and he's claimed it for Jesus Christ out in front of a Walmart, He's winning over 120 people to Christ every single year. Now, when we start thinking about this message of repent, we probably get some kind of caricature in our minds that may not be too dissimilar from what we see in John Brown. We think of some kind of nutso character, uh, maybe wear the beard and wearing a robe, walking around with a sign that says repent, the end is near. And so when we see something like that, we have this visceral reaction that says, boy, I don't want anything to do with that. That's not my style. That's, that's not how I do it. I'd rather win friends and influence people for Jesus rather than standing with a microphone and uh, shouting at people as they drive through the interstate. Now, this guy, unlike some of them, some of them are almost vicious in their approach to this, and they're just constantly condemning and criticizing and looking for anything and everything and telling everybody they're going to hell. That's not John Brown's message. John Brown's message is it's not that, hey, you're all going to hell. It's some of you can go to heaven. There's a way. There's hope. And that, when you hear the message, repent, that's what you ought to hear. Not that, hey, you're all going to hell. You're all wicked, evil people, and God hates all of you. That's not the message you need to hear. When you hear the word repent, it should be, there's a better way. There's a new life. There's an opportunity for you 
And what I'd like to do this morning is take that negative connotation that we, we get from the word repent or repentance, and I'd like, to, I'd like to maybe change our minds about what that is. To help us understand what, what is repentance and how does it apply before I become a Christian? How does it apply now that I am a Christian? What's it all about? So let's take a fresh look at it. Because this is one thing I'm convinced. You know, we're heading towards our, our harvest of hope, and what we're looking for is personal revival, church revival, and a move of God in our community. I, that's what I'm looking for. Anybody else looking for that? Praying for that? Wanting that? Okay. If we want it to happen, listen to this. God will not revive a people or begin a movement among a people who will not repent. Let this soak in. If you've read in the Old Testament, it almost uh, gets to be humorous as, as God refers to those, the, the Israelites, his people. He calls them hard-headed and stiff-necked. They weren't willing to bow. They weren't willing to turn back. They weren't willing to seek him and him alone. They were hard-headed. They were going to do it their way. And sadly, we didn't learn a great lesson from their failure. And so this morning, we'd like to focus on that a little bit. And so let's begin by, by, by asking this call to repent. What is that all about? What does that mean? Now, I had some fun this week because this may not be fun for everybody, but it was fun for me. There are a number of words in the Bible that get translated as repent. And so I had the sheer joy, and I mean it of opening up all my Hebrew and Greek stuff and beginning to delve into these words and just doing word studies based on this stuff. Now, for most of you, you're like going, that sounds like a good recipe for taking a nap. But it was actually very exciting for me. I, I enjoy that. I enjoy delving in and digging in. And I literally had a list of, of a number of words in Hebrew and Greek I was going to share with you this morning. But then I figured you may not get quite as much joy out of it as I do. And so what I did instead was I went to the most commonly used word in the New Testament for repentance or turning. I, I, I pulled that word out, and that's where I'd like us to focus because it appears to be the focus of the New Testament when it comes to repentance. And that word, and you don't have to know this, the, the, the noun version is metanoia. The Greek version, the uh, verb version of that is metanoeo. Okay, again, you don't have to know this, but here's what it means at the root of this word, and that is to change your mind or to think differently. To change your mind or to think differently. That is the primary word in the New Testament used for repent. Now, does that look different from what you thought it might be? It does to me. I grew up thinking of repentance of as change your ways. You know, you're going this way, turn around, go that way. A physical act of changing something in life. Now, that is not untrue. It's just incomplete. It does mean to change your life. But repentance, that life change, grows from something else. It grows from a change of mind, which leads to a change of heart, which leads to a change of action. Don't miss this. Your mind changes, your heart changes, and then your actions change. We usually start on the other end, don't we? We start with a change of lifestyle. 
How many of you... How many of you have ever been on a diet and are willing to admit it? Okay. All right. The rest of you, we need to have confession afterwards. No. (laughs) Some of you don't need it, right? Uh, Yeah, I have. I've been on a diet. Diet is all about changing your your habits, your eating habits. Uh, So you give up Krispy Kreme and, and, and Bluebell ice cream for a little while and you eat like celery. That, that's my idea of a diet anyway. And I'm like, okay, nah. nah, nah. And so, you know, I, you know, you do that for a couple of days, and then, and then you, you have to go to Athens or somewhere where there is a Krispy Kreme, and you start, you start to pray, God, give me a sign. <laughs> if the light's on, that means you want me to have a dozen. And by the fourth time around the block, God gives you a sign. That's a bad way to change your life, to start with the end first. So let's think about it going the other way. Now, obviously, you cannot read through the New Testament and, 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 and miss this simple truth. When a person becomes a Christian, a spiritual transformation happens. A spiritual transformation happens. In order to be saved to begin with, you have to change your mind about sin. Think about this. Sin it was something that was fun. Sin maybe something that was you thought about as being liberating. Sin was something that, you know, it might have been forbidden, but boy, that's good stuff. And that's the way you're thinking about sin. Well, when you become a Christian, things begin to change, or as you're, you're in that process, what you begin to do is you l- begin to look at sin in a, in a, in a different way. You, your, your mind begins to change about it. And, and now, instead of something that is, is to be rushed to, it is something that is to be abandoned because we recognize that when God looks at sin, it is, it is hideous to God. It is not something he wants us involved in, not because he's trying to keep us from having fun, but because he knows that sin is dangerous for us. It is harmful to us. It, it, it leads us away from where he wants us to be in life. And quite honestly, uh, it leads us away from what is best for us. And then you go and you begin to read in the Old Testament and you go, wow, they sure did kill a lot of animals back then. They sure did. You come to understand that sin was so bad in the eyes of God, this rebellion against God, this setting self up as opposed to following him as Lord was so bad that, that, that literally bulls and goats and lambs and doves by the hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands were sacrificed over and over and over and over and over again. And you recognize sin must be really bad if that had to happen. And you take a look at the cross. And you remember that it was at the cross where Jesus paid the ultimate price, spilling his own precious blood. And you recognize, wow. Sin's not only so bad that animals had to die, but sin is so bad that Jesus had to die. And you begin to change your mind about sin, and it's not something to be run to, it's something to to run from. 
It's deadly. And you repent and you turn from that and you turn to Christ and you receive Jesus as Savior. That's the beginning of this new life. Let me share a few scriptures with you to help to highlight this. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And he was writing to a Jewish audience. They knew full well what this shedding of blood concept was all about because they knew the Jewish sacrificial system. Jesus promised at the Last Supper, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. My blood for the forgiveness of sins. And then Paul echoes this truth in Ephesians 1 when he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. Get this. We have to change our mind about sin. Repentance, then, is a change of mind. And we change our mind about sin, but we also change our minds about self. And we change our minds about Jesus. The Holy Spirit begins to bring us to an understanding that we are sinners and and that our sin separates us from God. And we come to know that we can't fix it ourselves. And and I I started using this image with children, but I brought it over to adults because it's a beautiful image of, of just what sin does to our lives. And that is the old story of Humpty Dumpty tumbling off the wall. And then the story goes, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. I don't know. Is anybody here foolish enough to have dropped an egg and then tried to put it back together? I mean, you may have scooped it up and put it in a frying pan and fed it to your husband, but you, you don't go out to the barn and say, okay, if I got anything out here that can, you know, can, can you get me a roll of duct tape over here? I got to fix this egg. You know, when that egg hits the floor and shatters, that's all she wrote. Okay. That's the image you need in your mind of what sin does to you. You are shattered, you're broken, and it doesn't matter who it is. They can't fix it. Your family can't fix it. Dr. Phil cannot fix it. Oprah cannot fix it. Religion cannot fix it. The only hope we have is in a Jesus who doesn't tape up a broken life, but who gives a new life. That's our hope. So we have to change our minds about sin, about self, who we are and what we can do. But we also have to change our minds about Jesus. It begins with this change of mind, however. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, this is a verse, if you haven't memorized this one, uh, you you might want to put this down as one to memorize, to, to put in the memory bank, to draw on when you need it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world. That is, do not be pressed into the cookie cutter shape of this world. The way the world wants to shape you. The way the world wants to mold you. Do not conform to that. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of what? It's right there on the screen. The renewing of your what? Wait a second. I thought Christians weren't supposed to think. I thought we were supposed to check our brains at the door when we came in. No. God doesn't want you to give up your brain, but he does want you to change your mind. To be transformed, to be changed by the renewing of your mind. And when your mind changes about sin and when your mind changes about self and when your mind changes about, G, uh, about Jesus, then something happens. When your mind begins to change, then your heart begins to change. And the things that once brought us pleasure now begin to break our hearts. Some of you um, had sin that really had its grips in you before you became a Christian. And you, you were under this impression that once, once, I, once I became a Christian, that would no longer be an issue for me. And wow, it got you again. Just kind of sneaked up on you. There it was. Here's the difference. Before, you didn't think another thing about it. But now that you're a believer, now that the Spirit of God lives in your heart, now when it happens, what? You don't feel good about it at all. You feel dirty. And you feel the need to confess it and to move away from it. That's the good part. The bad part is that you gave in again, right? Okay, but the good part is you don't think about it the same way anymore. Now, instead of something that is to be pursued, it's something you want to turn your back on and walk away from. And you ache over your sin and you grieve over your sin because your affections have begun to change. You've you've changed your mind about what sin is and about who Jesus is. And now your heart's beginning to follow and it's being changed too. It's being transformed too. And you're beginning to, to feel differently about sin and feel differently about Jesus. And I want to leave this. And, and, and instead, if I go over here to this sin now, now I've got guilt and 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 it just feels yucky but but when i'm in christ and i know i'm walking with him now there's peace and and i don't want to feel like that anymore i want this and so our mind changes and our hearts change and we begin to we begin to love the things that god loves and and hate the things that god hates now i didn't say hate the people that god hates don't get me don't get me wrong at this but hate the things that God hates. I can no longer read statistics about the number of abortions that occur in, in the year or the number of rapes that occur in the year or the number of people that go to bed hungry. I can no longer read those statistics without it affecting me here. 
because my mind has been changed as to what sin and self and Jesus are all about. And so my heart is changed, and now I begin to have a broken heart over the things that break God's heart, and I begin to rejoice over the things for which God rejoices. Let me give you an example. This past Thursday night, I had the wonderful privilege of of participating in the spiritual birth of a new child of God. Young woman came to faith in Jesus Christ. And when we prayed and, and she left and I had to go to Ingalls. This is life. This is what happens. You go from the mountaintop to Ingalls. There's nothing wrong with Ingalls. I love Ingalls. They did a lot to help with the thing yesterday. But, you know, you go from, from, from the mountaintop back to the mundane. But when I went into Ingalls, I was grinning from ear to ear. Those people must have thought I was nuts. I was walking in and they go, uh, hi, well, uh, how, how are you doing? I am great. I am awesome. What, what a glorious day. I was thrilled. My mind had changed. My, I, and, and I began to, to, my heart had changed. And I began to rejoice over the things that God rejoices over. And I was able to tell this young lady that because she came to Christ Jesus, that there was a party starting in heaven. And I was just getting in on the fringes of that. Just getting a little confetti drifting down onto me. You know, just hearing a little bit of the fanfare drifting down to me. And I was on cloud nine. Why? Because I was loving what God loved. Our affections change. So repentance is a change of mind about sin, about self, about Jesus. It's a change of heart as your affections begin to change. And, and as it says in, in Romans 12, 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. That's what begins to happen. But it culminates with a change of action. It doesn't stop with just a change of mind. It doesn't stop with just a change of heart. That's where it starts. Then it ends up with a change of action. And this is, of course, what we always thought repentance was to begin with. Actions changing. That was true. It was just incomplete. A change in our actions grows from a change of our mind and heart. And so how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we get a transformed mind that changes our heart, that changes our life? And I'd like to offer to you some practical advice on how to get there. Because some of you are like, I'd like to go, but I need a map. First of all, let, let's, start with, let's start with God's Word. The Bible has, is more accessible now than it has ever been in the history of the world. Do you realize there was a time in, in world history that you could not get a complete scripture in written form? You couldn't get it. It wasn't available. Or it wouldn't be available in your language. It might be in Latin. And if you didn't happen to read Latin, you were out. And then, and then there were people who began to translate it. And it was illegal. They began to translate it into the language of the people, the common language. Into German, into English, into Spanish, into French. And they began to translate. Some of them were put to death because they put the word of God in language so that normal people could actually read it. 
now? How many Bibles do you have at your house? Odds are it's more than one. If you say zero, please see me after the service. I want to fix that. But you probably have two, three. There might be even a couple of Gideon Testaments tucked away in a drawer somewhere. You got more than you know what to do with. And if you have internet access, you get it on your computer. You can get it on your iPad. You, you can get it on your phone. The Word of God is so accessible now, you can be driving from here to Athens to go to Krispy Kreme, of course. You can be driving from here to Athens and actually have the Bible playing on your phone so you can listen to Scripture as you drive. You don't even have to put your eyes on the page. You can just listen to it. That is how accessible it is right now. It's never been this way in the history of humanity. But having the Bible readily available does not mean that we read it any more often or that we even read it at all. The availability is not the key here. It's taking advantage of the availability. And I want to make you this promise. If you're not getting God's word into you, then that void is being filled by something else. Miley Cyrus, Lady Gaga, Toby Keith, Luke Bryan, got to be an equal opportunity offender. Oprah Winfrey, Jerry Springer, Cosmopolitan, People Magazine, The Simpsons, Family Guy, something is filling that void. And that's why Paul wrote to us in Romans 12 too, get this. Do not be conformed, don't conform to the pattern of the world. What you hear them singing about, what you see, how you see them acting on TV, how you see this thing at the movie, don't conform to that. That is not who you are, it's not what you're called to do, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to get the scripture in you if it's going to change you. Some of you are on prescribed medications for blood pressure, for cholesterol, uh, uh, to, you know, you, you may even just be taking a baby aspirin to keep the blood flowing a little bit more. Some of those medicines are, are kind of expensive that you're on. Every once in a while, somebody will tell me that, you know, I had to go get this prescription and it was some astronomical number, you know, that you had to, and that was even after insurance. It's just a you know big, big thing. Now, let, let's, let's just say you have to have this to live. And so you go to the pharmacy, you, you pay for the prescription, you get it, you bring it home, and you put it in the drawer, and you never use it. Is that of any value to you? No. You got to get it in you if you want it to affect you. The same thing is true with God's word. If you don't get it in you, it'll never affect you. We're responsible for what we put in our minds, which affects our hearts, which determines our actions. The old uh, computer terminology is no longer used, but back when computer programming started to roll out, there was a little expression called garbage in, garbage out. That's pretty much 
That's pretty good philosophy. If you're putting garbage in, there's probably garbage coming out. So guard your mind. And put the things in there that will change your heart, that will change your life to be more like Christ. So God's word is, is the first prescription for you. Secondly is God's spirit. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You need the Holy Spirit to guide you in all truth. The truths that matter, the truths that make a difference. God's spirit is there to guide you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if no one's told you, you need to know this. God's spirit lives in you. God's spirit lives in you. You now have a resource that is beyond anything that I or anyone else could provide to you. It is far better than, uh, than numerous PhDs from the finest universities in all the land. You have a resource. Let's put it this way. The very power that created the universe resides in you if you're a believer. That's pretty cool. The wisdom that created this universe resides in you. That's a big deal. And that's why James says, if any of you lack wisdom, and that would be all of us. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it'll be given to you without finding fault. You know what that means? That means, <laughs> that means when you go to God and you go, God, I'm not really sure what to do. I'm, I'm not really sure what this means. That God isn't up there going to the angels and going, <laughs> did you hear what he said? Seriously, he, he said he didn't get that. Can, can you believe that? God's not up there making fun of you because you don't know. He knows you don't know. And therefore, he has provided wisdom for you, but we've got to be willing to receive it and apply it. And so you, do you seek wisdom from God or, or do you just kind of do your own thing? Do you ask God to show you the way or do you kind of launch out on your own and say, God, I hope you can catch up with me? If you're not reading his word, if you're not spending time in prayer, then you're cheating yourself. And you're not experiencing the transformation that you need. And finally, the third resource that we have here is God's people. The writer of Hebrews issues this warning. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I go to this verse quite often as we think about the people who are connected, not only with Grace Fellowship, but other churches, but who have, for whatever their reasons may be, disconnected. They may have good reasons, but that action is foolishness. Would you think with me? Let, let, me, let me just pick on Chris and Kitty. Chris and Kitty Cottrell are here, but they're members of another church in Florida, okay? But they came here, and circumstances with Chris's heart 
and now he get his back surgery. Circumstances have um, kept them here, and we may flatten their tires and not let, let them leave, but I, I just want to ask you, do you think the family of God is important in your life and your spiritual growth? I don't know what you do without it. I would not know how to function if it were not for the family of God. Now, how does the family of God help us when it comes to this concept of repentance? They hold us accountable. I look into Fred's life and I see something in Fred's life that's not consistent with the gospel and in love and compassion for Fred. I go and say, Fred, we need to sit down and talk. You hold them accountable. You pray for them. And you're there with them in good times and bad. Singing that song this morning. Your love never fails, it never gives up, never runs out on me. That's God's love for us no matter what we've done. That's the kind of love that needs to be reflected in the church that even though, listen, you've blown it big time, we still love you we're not running out on you. We're here for you. Boil it down to this, we need each other. And this is God's design to help us see what the Christian life is to be and to begin to live that Christian life, to change our minds, to change our hearts, to change our actions, to bring us in line with what God's will is. And it includes God's word and it includes God's spirit in us and it includes God's people, the church. And we, if we really want to start a fire, if we really want to start a fire that will ignite a revival in our own souls, that will ignite a revival in our church and will lead to a move of God in our community, it will not happen if we're, not, if we're unwilling to admit our sin, confess it before holy God, and turn from it as we're led by God's power, as we're strengthened by God's Spirit, and as we're supported by God's people, it'll never, ever happen. And so I want to close by asking you some questions. These are not in your handout. These are for you to think about. And if one sticks with you particularly, you can write it down and go back to it. Here are some questions I just want to ask you as you probe this today for yourself. First of all, do I have any unconfessed sin in my life? Is there something I've stuck in the closet, put under the bed, swept under the rug that I just don't want to let go of? Am I willing to humble myself and confess that sin and then turn from it to Christ? Am I reading God's word faithfully? And by faithfully, that's different for everybody. Some of you can consume chapters at a time. Some of you, it's just a few verses. But am I being faithful to God's word? And am I willing to let what I read shape me? There's, the, there's for many people, that's the hard part. They'll read it, but am I willing to let it change me? Am I spending time in prayer each day with God? Not just giving him my laundry list. 
but actually just spending some time listening and saying, okay, God, what, what do you have to say? What is it you want me to know? And am I willing to do what God's Spirit leads me to do? Am I connected deeply in the family of God, or am I just kind of an appendage, just kind of hanging on? Or are my roots deep in the family of God? And am I willing to trust other believers to hold me accountable for how I live? Would I give someone permission to lovingly get in my face and say, you know what, that was wrong. What you said was wrong. You're gossiping, that's wrong. You're lying, that's wrong. You're living in a relationship that is, that is not pleasing to God, that's wrong. Am I willing to allow people into my, lives to do, into my life to do that? These are hard questions that requires true introspection and honesty with ourselves. But we've got to be willing to ask them and to answer them if we ever want to know what revival is. Revival is not a series of meetings that you set up with special singers and special speakers that starts on a Sunday morning and ends on a Wednesday night. That's not revival. Revival is when the spark catches into a flame and it is so potent spiritually that you catch fire with everyone around you. I want you to be that grinning idiot who walks in Ingalls. I want you to be so filled with the spirit and the power and the love and the hope of God that you cannot help but overflow. I want you to be a bucket that is not only filled to the top and overflowing, but a bucket that you intentionally punch holes in so more can get out and spill into other people's lives. I want to see you changed. That doesn't mean that you won't have the same aches and pains. It it won't mean that you won't have that same old crotchety husband or wife. It It may not mean that your children are any more obedient or your parents are any easier to live with. It doesn't mean that your bills might be paid more quickly. It doesn't believe, it doesn't mean that your neighbors might be more friendly. But what it will mean is in the midst of this whirlwind of life in which I live, I have found a rock that is solid and sure that will never change. I can cling to it. I will always be safe. God will never turn his back on me. He will never quit loving me. I will always be his child. I will be a son or a daughter of the king forever and ever and ever. Amen. And my life is not going to be the same. You've got to want it. And then you've got to be willing to let God change your mind so he can change your heart, so he can change your life.